this group of Bitcoiners that we've cultivated for the last couple of years, they are not going to help us to grow this community by a tenfold or a hundredfold anymore. That's a small clique of people that is now like taking control. Hello there. How are you all? All right. I am having the best week. We did it. Real Bedford won the league. And I know not all of you care about this. You're not all into football, but we do have a Bitcoin team that's won the league. We're going up to step five and we're going to try and do it all again. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today we have a Bitcoiner, but also Bitcoin critic, Eric Wall on the show. Now, we get into all sorts of topics in this one. We started out talking about Hex and their community. We talk about Bitcoin culture and where Eric sees his role as the person who can call out bad takes but also be a voice of reason within Bitcoin. Now, I know not everyone is a fan of Eric. He's a bit trolly at times, but I appreciate talking to him. I like talking to the critics too. So I will be interested to see your comments on this one, to hear what you think. So if you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And last call for our event this Friday, last chance to get tickets. We've only got a handful left. So Jeff Booth, James Lavish, Lawrence Lepard, and Ben Ark are going to be in Bedford for What Bitcoin Did Live. So if you want to get tickets for that, head over to whatbitcoindid.com, click on WBD Live, and I will see you there Friday. Also, those coming to the game on Saturday when we get presented the trophy, come down to McMullen Park. Come and see Rail Bedford play the last home game, be crowned champions of the league. All right, speak to you all soon. I hope you enjoy this interview. Eric Wall. Peter McCormack. How are you? Feeling swell, thank you. Did you ever think you would end up in Bedford? I've been expecting to end up here um, for years now. For years? <laughs> for years, ever since you had that. Ever since I saw you dancing so fabulously in, <laughs> in, in Norway, owning the dance floor. <laughs> Yeah. Pre-TikTok. You, you hadn't even seen me get started. I was, that was just the warm-up. If we'd have had TikTok back then, you would have been... Uh, Connor, who's that girl that Scarlett follows on TikTok? You'd be the uh, Charlie D'Amelia. You're bringing up you know, a, a pain of mine, which is that I was too late for the TikTok generation. And I think TikTok would be the medium where I would have truly excelled. And now I'm confined to be this annoying person in crypto Twitter <laughs> where I could have been a TikTok star. You're not, anno you're not annoying. Didn't you try TikTok for a while? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did a little bit. But I mean, it's... What? Have you not seen the Eric's TikToks? No. Well, shut up one up. Do you mean what, is like, he dancing? Do you mean the AI ones or just the ones where I'm being goofy and dancing around? I, I thought you did some like crypto ones yeah i did <laughs> you know some sometimes there are things that happen in the cryptoverse that are emotional like um you know suzu falling from grace just do it so i made you know a, comp a compilation of his images and i put a soundtrack and i made some rain you know just to express how sad it was i mean there are particular moments that have happened in crypto that you want to you want to feel all the emotions tied to those events. So I'll make some like for example when I got when I got ousted by the Maxis, 
That was emotional for me. You got ousted? I got ousted in 2019. I think I got ousted after my first podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> because it was bad. <laughs> I don't know. I've never fit in. Yeah, well, you're not annoying on Twitter. You're annoying getting a fucking flight. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not annoying on Twitter. Not annoying on Twitter. You have unfo- you personally unfollowed me a bunch of times. Yeah. You were being a dick. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of times. Sometimes you have to have a break. Um, we talked about this in uh, Lugana. Yeah, we did. We did talk about this. Um, but look, it's great to have a shitcoiner on the show. You know, usually it's just Bitcoin people or macro people. Occasionally uh, we invite a shitcoiner on the show. How many shitcoiners do you tend to have? Um, less than one a month, isn't it? Yeah. Like we have people one who... We have Bitcoiners who shitcoin occasionally. We have Bitcoiners, macro, Bitcoiners who shitcoin, and then we have like real shitcoiners like yourself sometimes. We Lane Retic we have back. <laughs> yeah. We like we like Lane, so Lane comes on. Eric Voorhees has been on a few times. Yeah. Okay. Well Sh- shitcoiners who are actual Bitcoiners as well. We don't mind them. I'm happy to be your monthly shitcoiner for the month. Okay, let's talk about hex. <laughs> let's talk about hex. I heard it's a scam. I'm not sure. Richard Hart seems like a good guy. He seems like he's got great taste in fashion. Seems like he really cares about the financial system and the problems within the banking sector and the Fed. And he seems like he's designed a cryptocurrency that can fix this. I've heard this is a rumor. Do you know there's a book called like the 48 Laws of Attraction? I thought there were only seven. Apparently there's 48. Okay. And in chapter 27 of this book, it outlines the steps that you undertake in order to form a cult. And it includes many particular things that are heavily integrated with exactly how Hex operates. So, for example, in the in the 48 Laws of Attraction, there's sort of a, a, a guy that talks about, well, you, you should require sacrifices from your community. And that's like a perfect mirroring to what Richard is doing with this pulse chain. Oh, because they have the sacrifice. Yeah, they have sacrifice faces for pulse chain, for pulse X. Uh, actually, if you, if you read the thing, it's almost letter by letter. Uh, and if you, if, you, if you read the chapter, it's like, it's actually textbook what he's doing. And he, he has tweeted the name of this book. He says, I've read five books in my life or something like that. And these are the ones that I highly recommend. I want to know what all five are. Some of them is like, um, uh, what's his name? Yuval, the, the Sapiens, the okay. Sapiens book. And then another one is the 48 Laws of Attraction. Mm-hmm. I think that's the name of the book anyway. Okay. And this one is just how to create a cult. And so are you saying, hold on. Are you saying Hex is a cult? I'm saying that he, this is one of the few books that Richards has read uh-huh. and he has incorporated every element of a specific chapter in that book that mirrors exactly what he's doing with Hex. What are the other parts of that chapter? I can't bring it up for like from the top, from the top of my head. Um, Danny, can you find chapter 27 of the 48 Laws of Attraction? I mean, you're saying this might be a cult. It is, it is a cult. It is a cult. 
Have you done any research into whether all the hexagons are real people or bots or what? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they are real people. I mean, many of them have YouTube stream, like many of them are streamers. I've interacted with them in DMs, a bunch of them. They've invited me to, you know, events and parties and they show me pictures of when they're hunting in the forest. And so like, hey, Eric, I'm, I'm because they consider my, they consider me their friend at this point. We've, we've been hating on each other for such a long time that it's sort of turned into this thing. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you are a person that I know pretty well and you seem to understand some things in the crypto space. I, I want to sort of be your friend and can you help me understand things that I don't understand in crypto? I'll keep your enemies closer. Chapter 27 is play on people's need to believe to create a cult-like following. Hmm. And it provides examples from history of leaders who have used this tactic to gain power and control over their followers. Did you just ask ChatGPT to find the answer for you? I just said what's That's fucking great. I mean, that's really cool. Um, yeah, th this is one of the things that, you know, I've tweeted a lot, a lot about yeah. everything about Hex, but this is the one thing that I've sort of kept. This is like my mag magnum opus of destroying Richard. Thread. Th this is the the one thing that, you know, if I actually pull out the information from that chapter, it would it would just expose the whole shtick, the whole scheme in such a way that I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of hesitant. Like, do I want to, because this would be the end. Well, do you, do you have a duty to the world to do that? Do you feel a responsibility to, to protect people from this? Because as a journalist, I would say you do so. Uh, I'm wondering if it will backfire. In what way? More attention to him or I'm, I think negative I, for you? I, from the last couple of months, it's looking like he's already collapsing the whole thing on his own. Okay. Can you ask ChatGPT about Richard Hart? Say, how did Richard Hart create the Hex cult? I don't know if it has data that old. Hmm. It has until September 2021. It says he's a controversial figure in cryptocurrency. Um, no, it doesn't really say anything. Offered large rewards to early adopters, creating a sense of community, exactly what you said. Cult. Encouraging loyalty. Yeah, that's about it. It seems so obvious to me from the outside uh, that he's full of shit. Interestingly, the last sentence is, ultimately, whether or not Hex can be considered a cult is a matter of debate. Mm -hmm. Even ChatGPT knows. We didn't ask a cult, did we? No, I just said... Oh yeah, no, no, I did, I did, <laughs> I fed it that. <laughs> um, so, okay, do we know how much money he's made from it? Do we have ideas? Um, do we think it's millions, it's, tens, or hundreds? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell from because of the fact that when you have an ICO running, you can recycle funds yeah. in and out. But uh, from the Pulse Chain sacrifice and the Pulse X sacrifice. For those particular wallets, you can actually look on Etherscan, like how much money are in those wallets right now. And uh, we're talking about like slightly less than a billion. There are $400 million in one of them and another like $300 million in another one. And then we have to think about, well, 
how much money did he make from the initial one hacks? And are those wallets essentially his, and he owns that? Oh ETH? yeah, oh yeah. So he is now. And some worth... of the, some of them are in stable coins also. So they're actually like stable coins for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So he's the either worth hundreds of millions or maybe a billionaire. Yeah, I mean, it's impressive, even if it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can, I tell you, can I tell you a little story about Richard Hart? He tried to troll me and it was fucking brilliant what he did. I actually respect this. So when I was trying to buy Bedford Town Football Club, he reached out to them when he heard about it and tried to buy a sponsorship of the stadium and call it the Hex.com Stadium. So if I bought Bedford Town, I would have had to, because I would have been contractually obliged to have my team playing in the Hex.com Stadium. It was so funny. So when we were in negotiations, the owner told me, he said, have you heard of a Richard Hart? I was like, yeah. Why? He said, well, he's offered us, you know, it was a nominal amount. It was a small amount, to be honest. If he'd have offered more, he would have got it. He said, uh, yeah, he's offered to sponsor the stadium and take the naming rights. So I was like, that's funny. That is funny. That is funny. Um, okay. So when you say it's all collapsing, does it really matter to him? He's that fabulously wealthy. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think that, uh, I mean, Richard has said it himself that, you know, in terms of how much you can upgrade your lifestyle, there's diminishing returns. So he can, he has the best stereo, like he has the best sound, he has the best TV, he has the best things. So how much happier is he going to become from another hundred million the thing that he cares about is the adoration from the people around him. Mm -hmm. uh, he thinks that he is a god. And if he's unable to launch these projects that you know, he's told everyone that he's trying to make successful, if he can't do that, then his, this entire cult that he's created is going to... It, it was actually close to happening a couple of months ago when the Hex Prize was in the gutter and the project that he had promised would launch years ago was still just causing delays after delays and excuses. Um, that, for him, is like way more material than losing $100 million because yeah. it makes him understand that he is not, you know... A god, he can't do the things that he thinks that he can do. So it diminishes him. It makes him feel smaller. So, so it's it's his his it's becoming irrelevant. It's just an ego thing at this point. I mean, he wants to become someone that is admired and someone that is um, omni omnipotent, omniscient, knows everything, knows when the peak of the Bitcoin price is, knows when when the dip is he wants people to follow him like a cult because if you get a cult-like following your powers uh go beyond uh what any ordinary person do even what beyond what a rich person do a rich person that doesn't have a cult following is their life is way less interesting than a person who has you know a, a cult who believes that what they what that person says is you know a, a divine uh derived from from something holy and that's sort of the thing that that he's had that there are actual people that think of him as a god but he must know that those people think of him of that he's, it's essentially like buying friends it's not truly authentically earned respect it's people who believe that he's going to make them wealthy 
And therefore that's, like internally he knows, like he doesn't have any genuine authentic respect from anyone with any credibility. I think that there are a lot of hexagons that will respect him almost no matter what at this point. If something bad happens, they will blame it on the SEC, on the interest rates, on, on you know, whatever. But he's already gotten a, a sizable community that thinks of him as a divine being. Yeah, but it, it's similar how to, not the same, but similar to how a lot of people think of somebody like an Adam Beck. But there's some credibility behind why people respect and like Adam Beck. His inventions, his contributions, his takes, whether or not you agree. Like, he has authentically earned the respect of a large group of people, I think Richard would know there's no authenticity behind it. He's, he's tr I think he's Trump-like in some ways, in that uh, if someone criticizes Adam back, it's like water off a duck's back. It just bounces off him. He doesn't care. Anyone who criticizes Richard Hart becomes a mortal enemy for them. Like, I, th I don't think I've even spoken about him, what, for a couple of years since I last did that video? Yeah, definitely not on... He still, like, fucking doesn't... He still goes after me. It's like two years later. It's like move, like move on, man. But so I, I think there's like it's almost like Trump. You know how that Trump could not take any criticism. It's because they're a fringe community and mm. they need bigger adversaries to sort of give them relevance again. So they're always yeah. trying to rope in. So for example, I left the hex community. Left it? You were in it. <laughs> <laughs> I got was that a slip of the tongue? Were you a hexagon? I got sucked in. No, I wasn't a hexagon, but I got sucked into their. You know, psychosis. I was, I was in there. What? I, um, you know, I took a role. You know, I saw this. I saw this. You know, cult. This, this movement in complete disarray. And many of them were scared. Many of them were confused. And they were desperately trying to uh, un interpret the word of Richard because their entire financial future depended on what Richard says. And he was speaking in very vague language. And I sort of took the role of explaining what Richard is saying. And I guess he's talking about, you know, he was trying to fork Ethereum. And when you're forking Ethereum, this goes into, you know, what's an Aragon client? What's the sync stage? And, and, and all these complicated things that hexagons don't understand. So I took the role of um, basically trash talking Richard, but at the same time also explaining what were the technical uh difficulties that he, he was facing and because of that the hex community started to rely on me and some of them started also to see the the points that i've been making all along that it's much harder to launch a layer two layer one blockchain than it is to just call create a smart contract on top of ethereum which hexes so they started to rely on me and we had some sort of symbiotic relationship where they loved to uh hate me and I loved being hated by them. Um, so, but I, I became sort of a part of the Hex community and there was a lot of banter and it just got to the point, you know, where my cryptocurrency friends like Udi and Hasu and other people were like, Eric, you're, you're spending way too much time. Did you have an intervention? I had. I had an intervention. You were in a cult. <laughs> I wasn't in a cult. Well, I was like just closely, I was spending a lot of time with the cult because I thought that I was on an anthropological mission of, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like a scribe, a, a narrator. A mission the, from God. 
Yeah, I, I was there with the purpose of you know someone needs to tell the story of all the madness and insanity that is goes that goes on inside that cult because one day there's going to be a movie made made from that and there were Netflix level documentary teams that were actually flying into Portugal to allow me to to speak about what's going on there and I thought that I was bringing a much needed color to this in one of the you know this is this is one of the largest financial schemes. Uh, in in financial history, this is the, one of the longest running, you know, f- financial psychoses that has ever happened, sort of in the world. And I was the one with the most intel, so I th- thought of it as my responsibility to sort of just tell the story and keep track of what people are saying and what is going wrong and what what is actually happening. Because I was the only one that under- understood it. And I thought that I could do it from an unbiased perspective. And I thought that I had a responsibility to bring to the world this story. And I spent an insane amount of time doing that. And that's when my friends sort of came and said, Eric, you got to stop with this hex thing. And, I'm, and, I, and, I'm, and I was telling them, look, this film team is coming in two weeks from now. Like there's going to be a documentary and I'm going to be the main antagonist. And I'm going to, they're like, Eric, it's, it's gone too far. You have to step away. You have so much potential and there are there are other things that you could focus your energy on. And so I left. I unfollowed all the Hexkin people. I um, stopped engaging with them. I didn't post in their threads. I didn't argue with them anymore. And for a while I was uh, slightly depressed because I had, you know, I had a very big uh, personality in the Hex community. Like I was the... In the in the world of hacks, there's Richard Hart and then there's Eric Wall, like those were the the the, the Christ and the Antichrist. Um, and I enjoyed. Which one were you? I was the Antichrist. Huh. Yeah, and, and and I and I enjoyed that because it just it got me into places and 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 it got me into things that you know made my life more exciting because i would never have you know that doesn't happen to me in in regular life like being that big of an antagonist comes with special perks to it like what well um there are people within the hex community that where their faith is sort of faltering and then they go to the antichrist and then the Antichrist is now their new god that they start to listen to instead. So you, you had a spin-off cult. Yeah, so, sort of within like... <laughs> this is fucking mental. It was mental, but it was insanely entertaining at the same time. And I thought that when, when this thing eventually collapses, the entire hex cult would eventually just... Uh, you know, I could, I could uh, take them... Like I, they would now understand that what Eric has been saying is the the, the truth, and they would adore you. I, it's not necessarily adoration that I was looking for, but I thought that this is a big community that I could now steer for a better purpose, and that a- would Eric be Eric Coin. <laughs> I wasn't gonna drop a new cryptocurrency. Well, maybe you know the Erica Simptow. Do you remember that? No. Well, I had I had like um, a female alter ego. I was gonna create. Oh, Erica. Yeah, I was going to create like... She's kind of hot. She is kind of hot. Um, so, yeah, so so I mean, I was the things that happened in the Hex community was just on a different scale, on a different level, in a, from a completely different universe from anything that I've 
been used to and I was uh, excited about that. So when I left, I was like, okay, now I'm just regular, non-antichrist Eric, just, just regular Eric. And I got a little bit depressed. For a couple of weeks, I was like, you know, I told my partner that I think I'm heading into depression because I, I, you know, I left all these hex channels. I just unfold. It was like a big part of my personality that I eliminated. And that the, the, what happened uh, a month after that, almost immediately after that, was that I started to work on my own projects. Like I actually started to work on projects that... Um, you know, Bitcoin projects. <laughs> I was actually starting to do the things that I've been, you know, putting off and focusing my time on that. And for, no wild parties, no adoration. No, but I got into I got into things like I started I started um, I started two companies, um, like passion projects of mine that are going tremendously well. Uh, I got into AI animation. So I was, I was making AI animation where I was talking about philosophical things and they became like the um, most watched uh, videos on particular subreddits and I was getting uh, a different kind of message out, things that I wanted to say for years. Uh, and I was, I was, you know, flying out of my bed each morning because I was so excited about the things that I was working on. Um, but did you miss the hex people? No, I mean, no, I, I realized at that point that what my friends had been saying that, yeah, I mean, you're getting some things out of, you know, being this hex figure, but there's so much more that you're missing out on. And that was true. So once I stopped with the hex nonsense, there was another world for me uh, that I had been missing out on. And now I'm like this, this year it's been like my rebirth year where I can actually focus on things that isn't, you know, being a part of a crazy cult. <laughs> this is, uh, makes me think of Point Break. When I've Keanu, not seen Point Break. You've not seen Point Break? What the fuck? Oh, man, you got to see that film where Keanu Reeves goes undercover with the police. Uh, sorry, undercover for the police to uh, infiltrate a gang and starts to get to the moment where you feel like he likes being in the gang. And then at the end of this gang, this is like your Point Break. Uh, I didn't realize we were going to talk about all this. Uh, ask you about Hex was meant to be more of a joke. <laughs> the fuck, man? That's wild. Yeah. Uh, what is Pulse? Is Pulse Chain like their Ethereum? Yeah, so Pulse Chain was supposed to be... Um, what he promised was that he was going to fork Ethereum, but it was going to be faster and it was going to have proof of stake before Ethereum had it. Yeah. Um, so it was going to launch before and it was going to have more scalability and it would have faster blocks and all that. In the end, uh, they didn't, they weren't able to launch Pulse Chain before Ethereum. Now it's launched after Ethereum. And oh, it so is, it has launched? Oh, sorry, there's a test net for it. Does it work? At, uh, barely. Um, so the the window up, the... the they tried to get into this when the fees in Ethereum were extremely high. That's when they started. Now the Ethereum fees are low, and now they have this clone of Ethereum, which there isn't really a purpose for anymore. And they've also, instead of making Ethereum better, which was the thing that they were going to do by making blocks faster, uh, now it's just a carbon copy. Like now he says, we don't want to change the 
fantastic math that the Ethereum people have done because they've already solved it. So now it's just a complete copy paste of Ethereum. But when Ethereum makes upgrades, upgrades, do they have to upgrade the same? How do they? How does that work? Yeah. So this is pretty funny. So when um, when a couple of months ago he was asked, so in Pulse Chain, are you going to be able to withdraw your 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 Pulse tokens when you stake them? And Richard was like, yeah, yeah, I think I think that we've solved that. And then we spoke to his devs a couple of days later, and they're and they're like, no, we're actually just copy pasting Ethereum, so we have to wait for them to make withdrawals possible <laughs> before they're going to be possible in our project. And at that point, that's actually when I started to call. Um, you know, I've been very careful with calling Hex a scam. Oh, I would never do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just I just I, I I choose that word very you know specifically when I call something a scam. Uh, so I haven't called it a scam. I've called it like a, 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 a transparently slanted game that goes to enrich a, a particular party. But if it's transparent, people know about it. It's not a scam in my opinion. But now when it's like the the promises that he has he had made about Pulse Chain. And then seeing what he's delivering in reality and also seeing how little he knows about what he's actually delivering, that's when I'm at the point where, you know, this is actually, like, if this is, if if the way, you know, he said there's going to be tons of bugs in Ethereum, it's going to be unusable, they don't know how to build this, we're going to do Pulse Chain and it's going to be much better, and now he's just copy-pasting Ethereum and it's not better at all, it just comes out later and all the upgrades th- that they are getting is downstream from Ethereum, that is, and they raised a billion dollars for this. That is a scam. That is a scam. Um, What's PulseX? PulseX is like a Uniswap uh, application that runs on top of Pulse Chain. So the same yeah. way that Ethereum has Uniswap. So that's just an app, one application also raised a billion dollars. A separate what? billion dollars? A separate billion dollars. And is that a separate billion dollars for Richard? For Richard. So he probably has multiple billions of dollars. Uh, so, so actually, so actually the, 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 a part of those do- donation amounts were done in Hex. And okay. he's promised not to sell that part. But if you actually look at the just the stable coin and the Ethereum parts, if you combine both of them, that it's like a, a billion in total. Uh, but yeah, people sacrificed. <laughs> they sacrificed uh, <laughs> $1.8 billion. So when you say donations, that's like the Hex community sacrificing their Hex to go into this new pull chain. Yeah, they say that they're they're sacrificing their money for uh, freedom of speech and that they're not expecting anything in return. Even so though it passes the Howie test. Or supposedly passes supposed the Howie. Yeah. But at the same time, it, there's a website that says if you de- deposit, if you sacrifice this amount of money, you get these many points. And these points translates into how many Prizes. tokens that you get. Points so you are prices. actually you're actually you are actually getting a, an amount of tokens, and and the the value of these tokens are completely dependent on whether or not Richard Hart launches Paul Chain or not. So it, it is a secu- it is a hundred percent a security, and they're even getting subpoenas at this point. You know the funniest yeah, thing. Yeah, I've seen that. They're getting subpoenas, and you know all these hex influencers who are like, "You should have bought hex when I did," because now I'm like infinitely rich. They are out on Twitter now because they're getting subpoenas, and they have ten thousand dollars of legal fines that they have to pay. Um, and they're 
they're having these threats, like, could you please donate to me so that I can afford <laughs> the, these these legal fees? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I thought that you were like a, a, a millionaire or a billionaire because you bought Hex early. Why are you asking publicly on Twitter for a $10,000 donation so you can handle the legal fees? And why, aren't, why isn't Richard scooping in to give you, give you some money to handle it with the legal fees? So it's just, it just delusion, like a... a a moment of disillusion where you realize that actually these hexagon people aren't that like most of them sort of bought hex at the top and now it's down like 80 percent. so many of them are not actually in but the the, the, the genius thing about it is that uh, hex is so inflationary so in order to not get diluted uh, into nothing you have to stake and you have to stake more than the average uh, amount you have to stake your hacks for more than 3,333 days. So you have to stake it, what is it, like eight, eight years? That's the only way that you're not getting diluted. But then you're actually locked up for eight years. And then you're in the situation where all your capital, you can't even get, in, get it back until eight years. So the only thing that you can do is just say that Richard is God on earth and everyone should listen to him. Because that's the only way that you're going to be able to get some fraction of your money out of that thing. For so eight they years. Are, for eight years. So they're, they're locked into this. I call it uh, findom. You know what findom is? Nope. Financial dominance. It's a, okay. it's a thing that usually girls do. Like sexy girls, they will uh, rope you into... Like, well, there are some men that are attracted by the idea that there's a, a hot girl that takes control of their finances. And then they're like... Um, but hold on. Tinder Swindler was a male. Isn't that a similar scenario? Yeah, but that was he didn't really he wasn't super transparent about what what the scam was in the, in the Findom example. The men actually give away their wealth to a girl knowingly, and they want the girl to be like, you know, um, they want the girl to be in control of their money. It's it's, oh, it's sort of sort it's of like a, a domination thing. Yeah, it's like a domination thing. Financial and, BDSM. Yeah, that's <laughs> why it's called Findom, financial domination, and that is the thing. That the hexagons are doing with Richard Hart, except that it's not a hot girl; it's a, a, a fat guy in a Prada in, 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 in a Prada outfit who looks like Axel Rose. He's like <laughs> it's like sh he's like a shit Axel Rose. Yes, if you want to get into fandom, like at least do it with you know, don't do it with you know. <laughs> like it's Danny. It's, what the hell is going on here? My favorite thing is that Trayvon James. Do you remember? Is it Trayvon, Trayvon James? Yeah. yeah, the BitConnect guy. Yeah, he's you know he's like a big guy in Hex as well. Of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. Oh God, you know our YouTube's going to be full of them now. Good. We're going to restart the Richard Hart fire for the next two years. I want to go and hang out with him. I just want to go and have a lunch with him. No cameras, no microphones. I just want to talk to him. Trevon or Richard Hart? Richard Hart. I actually got stuck in an elevator with Richard Hart not long ago. Well, he's a big guy, so. And the, the elevators in Sweden are uh, like built in the 60s. They are not built for like Americans. So so we all got stuck in, a, in an elevator for like 30 minutes. So do you have an actual ongoing dialogue with him? Yeah, well, not, not now because um, a couple of months ago I like officially called him a scammer. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, because the way that he's been managing the Pulse Chain project was just, you know, beyond, like, it, it was, I was unable to come up with any reason for why this is not a blatant scam at this point. When he's taken billions from his community and he's not even 
you know, up to date with how the development process is going and, you know, compared to what he, what he said it was going to be and what it actually is, it's just a scam. Like you can't say, I'm going to make a better Ethereum and then you're like, actually, I'm sort of cloning a version of Ethereum. It's just, you know. Uh, is it being I, used at all? It's a test net at the moment. Right, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's a, a test, test net. net. Isn't he living here in the UK? Um, I see a lot of photos no. of him in shops in the UK. Yeah, I, I don't think that he lives in the UK. Oh. And I'm also like, as much as I think that, you know, some of the things that he's doing is, is bad, I am like uh, ideologically against like doxing the locations of people. No, of course. No, are. no. I'm saying it more that I thought he like, he was quite public about being in the UK. Yeah, no, he's not. He's okay. not. Okay. Well, I, I, I want to see him. I just, I don't want to interview him. I, I don't know. I'm in, I'm intrigued by uh, these types of individuals. Like I can disagree with them fundamentally, but also see them as entertainment. Like Craig Wright, similar. I I'm massively intrigued by Craig Wright. Whilst being in a four-year litigation with him, which has been fucking horrendous, I'm still intrigued by the guy. Like I want to sit down and talk to him. I'm, there's so many questions I have. I'm the exact same person. I'm, you know, like a fly um, attracted to insanity. Because <laughs> I want to understand it's like, it's like in interesting from an anthropological point of view. You want to dissect this, this, you know. Yeah, what is your motivation? What are you doing? Like, what are you getting from this? Because in some ways I feel some of these characters are more lost they're not free. They're, they're the exact opposite of free. They're trapped. And I want to know what it, what's really going on inside. Um, anyway, fuck Richard Hart. Um, let's go on to the proper stuff. What do you care about? Right now? Yes. Like on a high level or in crypto, in Bitcoin? Crypto. And uh, bear in mind, I don't give a shit really about crypto, but... Yeah, no, well, in... in if we talk about like Bitcoin in particular, um, the thing that I care most about these days is I think that we can create a, a better Bitcoin culture. Okay. I think that, you know, we- One culture? No, just another, just another one. I mean, I think that we have this uh, laser eye maxi uh, stake eating Bitcoin community and, you know, that's fine for them. Let them do that. Like let, let them express their adoration for Bitcoin in that way. But what I don't feel currently exists at the moment uh, at the moment is a way for people to be Bitcoiners in a way that doesn't you know that doesn't really um, fall into the same slot, like a way to be a Bitcoiner that doesn't have as rigorous or restrict, uh, restrictive um, parameters of what it means to be a Bitcoiner. Uh, I I want there to be uh, a conference, a Bitcoin conferences, Bitcoin podcasts that are very Bitcoin positive, but where you don't feel like you have to sort of tow a particular party line. Is that not what Bitcoin did? Do you think I towed the line? You can be honest, you won't offend me. I think that you could find a forum of uh, Bitcoinism that embraces the 
person that you want to be even more like i think that you have that you feel that you have to not like you have an audience base uh -huh. and i think that there could be a much larger audience base that uh, allows you to completely be the type of bitcoiner that you want this show is brought to you by ledger now, Ledger is the world's leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way to own and secure your private keys. Now, if you're still holding your Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time to take your security a little more seriously. Because as you know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Now, Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your own private keys. You can send and sign a Bitcoin transaction with full transparency in the Ledger Live app. And honestly, it couldn't be easier. I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I'm still using the same device I bought back then, and I absolutely love their products. Now, Ledger is running a promo right now. If you buy a Ledger Nano, you can get $30 back in Bitcoin, and this offer will be running until the 18th of April. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Next up, it is Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost excess renewable energy, and they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. And they are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Now, Danny and I met them recently in Canada and were super impressed with Iris Energy and their values, which align with us. So they're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did. We are going to be working with the Iris Energy team on everything we do from podcasts to films to our live events, and they're even sponsoring my football team, Real Bedford. So I'm really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. Now, if you want to find out more about Iris Energy, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y dot C-O. Also today, we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. With recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. I am 100% the Bitcoiner I want to be. Okay, Danny, Danny knows me inside out. I've wrestled with a lot of things, but... But I'm not ideolo ideologically trapped in any way at all. I definitely walk my own path. But, but Danny, it, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if it, well, I'm curious what you mean, Eric. I'm yeah. Not. You know, I'm I'm wondering. Isn't it difficult though? The things that you've had to do hasn't it been hasn't it been a, a journey for you to to define for yourself the Bitcoiner that you want to be? I don't define who I want to be. Though I just I just be me. Yeah. I just be me. But isn't isn't it a bit complicated like isn't it doesn't no, it's it come really easy it's the easiest thing because i just get up and be me but are, <laughs> you, are you saying is the pressure from like other bitcoiners to to represent something 
even if you choose not to represent those things, is the pressure from them. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Don't you feel that you get a lot of pressure from... Sure. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but they also get a lot of pressure. So everyone gets pressure because there's, no, or there's very rarely always a singular objective truth. So even if I was uh, like Safer Dean, like very strict in my economic views and you know, my views of the world, there'll be other people then putting pressure on me saying, oh, you, you know, you're crazy, you don't understand this. Like if I was you know, a, a seed oil avoiding steak eating religious Bitcoiner, people would be saying, well, Bitcoin is, whatever position you hold, you'll get pressure. I genuinely just wake up and I just be me every day. And so, uh, but but I tell you why, because it's the easiest thing to do. Once you figure, I think it's a hack. Just being you is really fucking easy. When you start being something else, you have to remember to be that. So it becomes harder. It's like, it's like when you get something wrong. Say you put out a stupid tweet, which I've done, right? And you double down and triple down. There's like this inertia to, people have an inertia to apologize and admitting they're wrong. But once they realize that apolog, like apologizing and admitting you're wrong is a superpower, because it does two things. One, it sets you free from your mistake, sets you free from the pressures, that burden that sits on you. But two, people respect you. They go, oh, yeah, well done for admitting you're wrong. That's great. Thank you. I trust you now. So all I have to do, Eric, every day, I just have to get up and just be me. That's it. And so if, if I align with the Bitcoin, it's because I agree with them. And if I don't align with them, it's because I disagree with them. And that's my honest held belief. Peter, I'm um, super happy to hear that you find found a way to be a Bitcoiner that seems frictionless for you. That's that you know you found a, f a format for you to express your your enthusiasm for Bitcoin that doesn't come with you know struggles. That's oh, no, very no, easy. There are struggles. Like uh, people lie about me. That's a struggle. Because I don't like it. And I respond. Even my son yesterday was saying to me, he's like, he's like, oh, occasionally, Dad, I like look on your YouTube or go on your Twitter. And it's like, you're replying to some guy whose avatar is a banana who's got eight followers. But my problem is if I, if I see something and if it's wrong, I want to correct it and say, no, that's wrong. What you said about me is wrong or fuck off or whatever. That's just like, I don't like people lying about me. That pisses me off. And so there are pressures. The bigger pressure is trying to find a truth or trying to trying to find my path in the correct way and maybe go wrong somewhere because I don't want to mislead people. That's the most, finding truth. That's, that's the biggest struggle of pressure I have with. I don't care. I mean, I do care. Like, I care if I lose followers, of course. If people don't listen to podcasts, they say it's shit. I don't of course I care. But I will lose them. Like if I had to say something on this show, I, if, if there was something I thought I would say that m might lose people, but I, it was my truth, I'll still say it. Like I still fundamentally believe in democracy. There are a lot of people who won't listen to my show because I say that. Yeah, and I see that. I, you're, you're a very strong individual and I see that you say a lot of things that you know that you're going to catch a lot of flack for. You say them anyway and then you catch the flack and then you still seem happy that you said the thing that you believe in. And Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy life. But it's not exactly, you know, entirely what I mean. So what I mean is basically if you want to be like, I've, I've been in, in, in Bitcoin for a very long time mm -hmm. and I want to find forums where I can express my adoration. 
and my enthusiasm for Bitcoin um, with like-minded people, people that sort of think about Bitcoin in the ecosystem of macroeconomics and also in the context of other cryptocurrencies that, you know, I don't, I don't especially feel like there's a form for that at the moment. I feel like there's the, there's, there's a big blob of people who like Bitcoin in the world. And then there's the, um, sort of hardcore Bitcoin community that, um, has these conferences that has most of the podcasts and control a lot of part of the uh, Twitter debates and debates on other forums where there is sort of a party line. Uh, I would like there to be another party line where you're saying like, look, I like Bitcoin, uh, but all the other attributes that are being associated with the party line, I don't necessarily abide by those, but that doesn't make me not a Bitcoiner. I want there to be a forum for people who like Bitcoin. You know, the it all comes down to a, a thing that happened, um, let's say, four or five years ago. There used to be a belief that Bitcoin would be, you know, the the one ring to rule them all, basically, in the, yeah. in the sense that um, Bitcoin is the most, the, the soundest form of money the, with the most robust uh, consensus mechanism. And with this consensus mechanism, we can build layers on top of Bitcoin. And with on top of these layers, all the features that we want out of potentially other altcoins, like if you want to build smart contracts, the decentralized exchanges, um, we would be able to harness the robustness and strength of the uh, Bitcoin consensus engine to power those other layers. So if you go back to when Blockstream was invented, Blockstream was invented with uh, basically a singular mission. The mission of the Blockstream company was to create sidechains uh, on top of Bitcoin or on, on the side of Bitcoin where... It was even in the sidechains white paper, they described, we want to build uh, financial derivatives instruments. We want to build peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces. We want to build decentralized exchanges, basically describing DeFi. And they wanted to build that on top of Bitcoin in the form of sidechains. Now, uh, none of that happened. We have... A... Well, they built Liquid and the, there wasn't a huge demand for it. They built Liquid, but on, inside of Liquid, you cannot build an automated market maker. You cannot build Uniswap inside of Liquid. Okay. Um, so the, the the version of DeFi, you know, what, what they did was they basically just um, forked a, a copy of Bitcoin Core. They call it Elements. They made some minor, minor tweaks to the code base that, didn't really introduce any level of expressivity at all. So they I didn't actually implement fully-fledged smart contracts inside of Liquid, which means that you cannot build the types of ecosystem that Ethereum has inside of Liquid. It's just not possible. So uh, they were, uh, it was, in 2017, you would have people like Luke Jr. saying that, well, you know, we're, we're going to build this type of functionality um, using drive chains, drive chain. You had, you've had Paul Stortz yeah. on this show 
And he's talked about like his long journey of, you know, had some initial optimism. There were some people that were supporting him. And then after the block size wars, people got so afraid of minor control, basically, that's, and, and because drive chains are ultimately at the behest of miners, this whole, the whole enthusiasm for drive chains sort of fizzled out. And now you don't have any way to really build smart contracts on, on top of Bitcoin, which is fine, I think. You know, you don't necessarily, it's not necessarily that I'm saying that we should build smart contracts on Bitcoin. I'm not saying that we, sh we should build ZK rollups on Bitcoin. I'm not saying that we should introduce all that because there's trade-offs. Like if you introduce smart contracts on Bitcoin, you introduce a level of complexity around Bitcoin and you might go so far as you actually harm the, the, the core, the thing that made Bitcoin this yellow rock that is like a form of digital gold, um, that, but if, that works very well. That works very well. And right now, for example, with the banking crisis, you know, the Bitcoin was the thing that pumped first, right? Because people want, it's a flight to safety. Uh, and, and, and Bitcoin represents that, that safe digital assets that is not connected to, to the uh, existing uh, financial system. And, and, and Ethereum doesn't look like that at all, right? It's this sort of crazy thing where things get exploited, things get hacked. But what I'm saying, though, is that if you say, if your original mission for Blockstream was that we are going to, through sidechains, enable all the altcoin functionality in second layers, and then you say, wait a minute, that, that's actually not something that we're going to do because we worry that it's going to harm Bitcoin in the end, then you've left walkover on that goal so if you if you have a goal, a big goal, an exciting goal that even inspires Gregory Maxwell and other core developers, this was not like a controversial thing that we wanted to build these more exciting systems that you could do more with, that could compete with another part of finance, not just the monetary part of finance, the actual plumbing of how uh, finance works. Mm -hmm. uh, if you If you give that goal up and say, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to uh, fiddle with this sound money part, then of course someone else is going to go and do the thing that that you left walk over. And of course someone is going to go and create a permissionless uh, smart contract platform for financial applications on the side of that. So people are going to do that because Bitcoin refused to do it. So now there are two. Well, okay, there's a lot there. You've talked about a forum for discussions. You've talked about Blockstream. You've talked about why we have alternative uh, uh, layer ones. Okay, but there's a lot, and I, I can't, I can't have one. I can't follow that with one question that covers all of those. Okay, so firstly, in terms of having a forum, you're on that forum right now. Okay, I, there's nobody I won't have as long as they're not too much of a nutter. I'd like most people on this to talk about it, and we have a broad, uh, uh, we we cover a broad set of subjects, broad set of guests. So saying that forum doesn't exist is not true, it exists. Twitter is also that forum. So the forum exists, you can have that discussion. If, if, there aren't, if, if there isn't a big enough cohort for you, if you're saying there isn't a big enough cohort, it's either one or two things, go and build it, or secondly, in a marketplace of ideas, it's not working. Yeah, so let me, let me respond to that. Yeah. So Yes, I mean, I can say the things that I say. No one's, you know, killing me. But 
what happened when I started to express these ideas within the Bitcoin ecosystem is that the majority of sort of the Bitcoin, the the incumbents, the the, the diehard Bitcoiners, they did uh, shun me out. Okay. In the sense that you know, Peter Todd, um, like most of the Bitcoin maximists, called me a dangerous person. Like Peter Peter uh, Todd actually called me potentially dangerous, and uh, recommended other people not to listen to my word. And uh, I was shunned in the sense that I wasn't invited into the discussion anymore. I wasn't taken seriously. I was. It was said that because I had read particular things on Vitalik's blog about zero-knowledge proofs, uh, I was potentially a danger to Bitcoin. And you want to know something funny? Uh, you know the Blockstream satellite they are now um, shooting down zero-knowledge proofs that allow you to sync a Bitcoin node much faster Cool. using the cryptography that was invented in the Ethereum domain. That's fucking cool. That's, That's great. fucking awesome. That's, and that, that, this is the, the one, the thing that I was trying to say, like, hey, there are some other things that is, that is happening outside of Bitcoin. Maybe we should pay, pay attention to those. There are some of the things that Vitalik is writing about, uh, about zero-knowledge proofs. Uh, these things can have major implications for how we can improve Bitcoin. Also, Peter Todd says, you're potentially dangerous. You're a shitcoiner. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what is his name? Uh, uh, Wagami. Um, oh, Warren. Warren Togami. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just unfollowed me, said, you know, my word wasn't worth listening to. And now the, even the Blockstream satellite is lasering down these zero-knowledge proofs. This is what I was trying to say. Like, there are things outside of Bitcoin that we can just talk about from, like, a technical perspective, and they could actually improve Bitcoin. And that um, level of conversation has not been a part of the primary sort of discussion around Bitcoin of how we can... Um, improve and, and scale the Bitcoin system. Why do you think that's happened? Why do you think you were shunned? Because there's because of tribalism. I disagree. I don't think tribalism would shun you. The interesting thing about Bitcoin is is that as it grows, if you don't sell much of your Bitcoin as it grows, your net wealth grows. So the security and future roadmap of it becomes even more important. So back in the block size wars, I had very little Bitcoin. And either way, I wasn't too fussed about kind of what happened with Bitcoin. I was like, well, I can understand the argument for bigger blocks. Like it makes sense. You can get more transaction through. But I understand the desire for retaining small blocks. You have more security and because you can, uh, more people can you know, run nodes. You get more decentralized. I see both arguments. Yeah, okay. Well, let's see, what, let's see how this plays out. Very new. I hardly had any Bitcoin, right? If I was going through the block size wars now, I've got a material amount of my net wealth in Bitcoin because I've, as I've made money, I've held Bitcoin. Now I care more. So when ordinals happen, I've been ordered to begin with. Now I think about it more. I'm like, because it affects me and it affects what's happening. And so what I think is, I think there's a thing where a lot of people who've been in Bitcoin a long time maybe have more of their net wealth. They care more and more about what happens with it. And they want it to move slower. They don't want things to break. They don't want to screw it up. And so they become very protective over it. And I think that's maybe one of the things that can happen. And yeah, I, I think there's less tolerance 
for people with an opinion on Bitcoin who are also seen as potentially being shitcoiners, right? I think there's less tolerance. It's like, well, yeah, it's chicken and egg because you're saying, well, because there's less tolerance, people will move into creating uh, alternative layer ones. I think people can see it. The other ones say, well, you care about those layer ones, so you don't care about Bitcoin. So I can see it both ways, but it could be just delivery. At the time I unfollowed you, I was like, fuck, he's becoming too trolly, too much bullshit. Yeah, so um, Jameson Lop has, uh, did you read his, like, a, a technical overview of Bitcoin toxicity? Uh, it was released a couple of weeks ago. No, I haven't. It actually goes through... Hold on, was this the really lengthy one? The really lengthy yeah, one. Yeah, no, I haven't, just because I looked at him and went, oh, fuck, I need a, need a, it need was, a bit of time. Yeah, it was long, uh, but I think that he was perhaps the most successful person in actually articulating where this this trolliness from like people like Udi and myself, like what are we up to? You and Udi are very different, by the way, and we'll come back to that. If you, I'll explain to you how I see you differently. Okay. But he, he did uh, capture what this whole like anti-maximalism comes from uh, in a way that I don't think that anyone has really done as, as successfully before. So what he said uh, was that, what has happened to Bitcoin maximalism over the last couple of years is that it's become almost pretty cartoon-like. I don't know if you can, if you recognize that you, you you've seen that you know Bitcoin maximalism is being associated with all of these other conservative values, and it's just become like you're not a Bitcoiner if you're not an anti-vaxxer, and you're not a Bitcoiner if you're if you're like the the true Scotsman fallacy has just gotten overboard. Of course. And it's gotten to a, a, a point where it looks sort of ridiculous to an outsider. And also like the stock to flow mania, like you have, you know, people try to sugarcoat it these days and they say that the amount of people that believed in stock to flow wasn't really that no, uh, material. Like, there was a lot of people who did. There was a lot of people like uh, Caitlin Long, like uh, Preston Pish, like uh, Peter Richard, like Saifedina Moose. Yeah. Like the, the the article that most people used to link when they're trying to intro people into Bitcoin, BJ Boyapati. Boyapati, yeah. Boyapati. He was a strong uh, stock-to-flow believer. The and, and even all of the Swan ambassadors were shilling it so hard that Corey at one point had to say, <laughs> can you please stop shilling? Yeah, Corey, Corey called it out quite early on. He did eventually. This was in uh, in May uh, 2020. Mm. And after that, they had already been shilling it for like almost a year. And I mean, so the 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 intellectual sort of quality, I mean, the, the stock to flow model is not more... Um, credible than the rainbow chart, for example. If you look at the arguments that say... I was very moves, sad when the rainbow chart failed. It lasted longer than the stock-to-flow model. Though. It was very, very, <laughs> yeah, well, it had a wide berth. Yeah, I mean, if you, and if you look at the arguments, you know, so Saifedean Moose, what do you think about him? Oh, there's a lot to say about Saifedean. Um, I think his book is a very good intro. I think so too. Um, I think uh, I tell anyone... Yeah, I, I recommend either read uh, The Bullish Case for Bitcoin or read uh, The Bitcoin Standard. I say if you write, read The Bitcoin Standard, just tear out the part of modern art because I think he confuses uh, monetary history. Uh, I think I think he uses the, the history of money or the failure of the failings in, in money as a lens to criticize things like modern art, which I'm a fan of. So I think he turns it into propaganda against the things he doesn't personally like in life. Yeah, and, and that's fine. That's his choice. Um, 
me, me and him aren't friends anymore. We don't talk. Uh, he tried to cancel me. Uh, we had a significant disagreement. I reached out. I'm, I'm always a reach out. Come, should we forget about it? I've done it twice now. And, you know, twice he's said yes, shook my hand, and then got on, got off and uh, slagged me off again. So, like, but I can always separate a personal disagreement for whether there's some value. I think he had some value. My main criticism for Safer Dean is I think he has damaged his own uh, uh, potential for his own career by not allowing himself to consider that he might be wrong on certain things. He should, you know, he's not very open to the debate. He blocks quick, very insulting to people who disagree with them, very condescending. And, you know, he was he was the he was the uh, the flag bearer at one point for Bitcoin. He was the number one guy. It was him. It's he safety was. to moose. And and now he isn't. You go and to now it's Michael Saylor. <laughs> yeah, and you go to a conference. He's given the same presentation he gave four years ago. PowerPoint is like it's dull. Uh, uh, but I think he's somebody who could add value. But you know, some people just can't handle being thrust into the public eye in front of a lot of people. They don't how, know how to navigate that. But uh, yeah, I can separate what I disagree with on safety and our personal falling out. I can separate that and say I still think he says a lot of. I think he said a lot of things that are smart. And probably get some things that are wrong, but that's human nature. We, we, everyone's capable. I'm sure you've got things wrong. We're all capable. I said that to you recently when you were criticizing Michael Saylor. I said, "Look, we make mistakes. We get things wrong." So, I want to make it clear that um, I absolutely adore this entire movement, the Bitcoin movement, the cryptocurrency movement crypto Twitter, as much as we like to hate them and as, as much as we like to be blasé about, you know, how important these things are to us. For me personally, um, it's been some of the greatest years in my life, like being able to express my ideas uh, with other people, uh, forming communities, having intellectual debates. It's elevated me, uh, like my sort of spiritual journey in this world and being able to connect with all these people in a beautiful way. I think it's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And I cherish it. I cherish it. I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a romantic in a sense that I, I uh, already mourn the day when we're not going to be able to have these interactions anymore. So I care very deeply and I appreciate it all the time that we are able to have these conversations. Um, there were, though, some things that happened. And let me start with Seyfedin and let me just say something briefly about Michael Saylor. So the stock-to-flow model, it actually came from, it, it came from the block size wars when the small blocker portion won. It made the portion, the portion of people that won the block size wars, the small blockers, it made them uh, more confident in their own arguments and it made them believe that their leaders and their high priests were speaking directly from the voice of Satoshi or God or something. But there were some incredibly insane things that were that were said at the time. And I'll just mention some of them briefly. So Michael, uh, sorry, uh, Seyfedi Namus, who is now, he, was, he had a 10-year academic career in economics. When he described the, how insane it was uh, uh, that, that, that it couldn't have been a fluke that the stock-to-flow model performed the way that it did. The way that he explained that was by saying, the price of Bitcoin could be anywhere between zero and a hundred million. 
And if we divide that range into $40,000 chunks, what is the probability that you're in one chunk like that at any particular time? It's uh, 0.4 or 0.04%. I think it's 0.4%. That's how low the probability that you are in that particular slot of this very wide range. Okay. What he did, what he did, what he did next was that, okay, now there's a second day. What is the probability that you're still inside that particular slot? Well, then you have to multiply the probabilities 0.4% times 0.4%. And now if, if that lasts for like thousands of days, then the probability, the probability of that happening is 0. And now there's 4,000 zeros until you get to the second, to the, to the next digit. So we're talking about more atoms in the universe. That's how unlikely it is that this has, has happened. And that's the argument for why the stock to flow model is, is to, make it, to make it more approachable. What is the probability that you, when you go to sleep in your bed, what is the, and there are 5 billion beds in the world, what is the probability that you wake up in the same bed? Well, it depends how much I've drunk. It depends how lucky I've got, but yeah. usually it's uh, very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if there are 5 billion beds, though, couldn't you have woken up in either one of them? And then if you wake up in every, sing, in, in every single morning, you end up, you wake up in the same bed. This is the same argument that Seyfedin made for why the stock-to-flow model was valid. So he doesn't consider the fact that if you are within this 40,000 uh, price range, it's more likely that you're going to be in the same one the next day. He thought it was like it could have been anyone. So the the, the mathematical argument and and, and you know anyone. So can, you're saying the math was wrong. Anyone can make stupid mathematical mistakes. Yeah, but not if you have a ten-year academic career in economics. That's when it becomes insane. So and, and you know. Started with Michael Sale. With well, Michael let, let, let's hone on that. So I have points on that. So, do you think Seyfedin believed his math was correct? Yes. Okay. So he just he made a mistake. Has he admitted it's a mistake? No. Okay. So in your eyes and other people's eyes, he's made a mistake. His math is wrong, but he believes he's right. Okay. So in his world, he's right. Paul Krugman, very respected economist. Has he won? Has he won a Nobel Prize or something? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Nobel Prize winning economist. A lot of people believe he's very wrong and made some considerable mistakes. He still believes he's right. Okay. Do you remember what I said to you in Lugano? When we were sat having a beer in the hotel garden. I was very drunk in Lugano. You weren't this. This was in By the, the way, they tried the Bitcoin Maximus tried to not like like uh, Francis Pullo. Yeah, me and him are trying friends. to make me not speak at that conference. So to your point, like there are people that are, tr are actively trying to not let me speak at conferences and things like that. But yeah, go but ahead. That's fine. Do you don't remember what I said to you about I think you're a very smart person, Eric. Like a super intelligent person. You can see things that other people just can't. You know, we joke about the ex-pub. It took me a while to understand the ex-pub. It's just not me. I forget names all the time. I'm, we're doing an interview and I'll look at Danny. I was like, what's the name of that person? He will tell me. I can remember numbers. It's just, it's just who I am. I'm not technically minded. Compared to most Bitcoiners, I'm one of the least technically, technically minded. I would say I'm at the better end of the spectrum on creative ideas or marketing sales. We all have our skills, right? You're able to see things 
that other people can't. You can look in the matrix and you can see, you can see the world. I just see green code. That's all I see. But I don't think you recognize the gap between you and other people on this. I don't think you appreciate that. Why other people can't do that? You, I think you expect everyone to see that. How no, you do? I don't expect them to see it. I'm just expecting that the people who take on the roles of being the high priests and the educators in this space, like we used to have Andreas Antonopoulos, yeah. who could have explained, who could explain these things intelligently and correctly, and we replaced him with. Uh, Michael Saylor and Michael Saylor does even more we'll come, we'll come back to that because if you want to talk about Saylor I want to keep to point by point it's is that I don't think you appreciate that gap in knowledge I don't think you recognize what it is and it, I don't see it as a criticism of you directly I think it's more of an observation is you will explain something to me you've done it plenty of times and expect me to just understand it and I'm sad they go right what the fuck did he just say right that, like, this doesn't work because Okay, did I sleep in that bed? Like, and I'm trying to literally figure that shit out. And I, my brain, the way my synapses connect or however the brain works, it works differently. But you could come to me with a logo for a company you're launching and you think it's the bollocks. And I look at it straight away and go, nah, that looks shit. That's not going to work for this reason or that marketing. We have different things, but I don't think you recognize that gap. And I think it frustrates you. No, I recognize that gap. I'm just saying that when we're in the process of electing our highest intellectual Bitcoin thought leaders, then I put them to a higher standard than I put you. Of course, and you and you, you and you should. So maybe when they are saying absolutely ludicrously uh, things, and it's not just me that is able to distinguish uh, or, or identify how crazy some of these things. So take for example the Bitcoin Mining Council that Sailor launched. Yeah. So in the Bitcoin Mining Council. Uh, Sailor has presentations where he looks at, okay, so this is the amount of hashes that Bitcoin computes. Yep. And this is the amount of hashes that Dogecoin computes. But it's, ex much, it's extremely harder to compute a script hash uh, in Litecoin than it is to do a double SHA-256 computation in Bitcoin. So the actual number of hashes is not the metric that you should focus on. It's how hard, like how much computational resources does, does it require to create a single hash. So you cannot compare these apples to oranges when you're looking at hash rates across different hash functions. This is one of the basic things that anyone who starts to study um, hash algorithms or cryptocurrencies, anyone who has done anything with miners, mining knows this. So, and it's not like he just made a mistake. What happened was that the people within the Bitcoin Mining Council, like Nick Carter, uh, there's this other guy, what's his name, Will Foxley from yep. the um, Compass. Compass Mining. They told him, Sailor, what you're doing here is absolutely insane. You cannot compare hash rates across hash functions. Uh, and they also told him that you cannot uh, uh, make an equivalence between higher hash rate, meaning more security, because ASICs just keep getting faster over time. Um, they explained this to him and he didn't listen. He just talked back at them. And then they said, well, I can't stand by these metrics that you're pushing out. I'm leaving. I'm departing. Yep. So my point is that it had the, the, the intellectual climate of, you know, our highest held Bitcoin thought leaders are cartoonish to a sense. So I want to go back to that blog post that, uh, Jameson Lopp wrote where he explained what you know, me and Udi and other, other people are doing. 
when we want to participate in this Bitcoin ecosystem, when we want to, um, to, to survive sort of intellectually here and like be Bitcoiners and we see all this nonsense and in, insanity, it's the way that we survive is by trolling the people who say absolutely crazy things just so that we can persevere so that we can remain our own sanity by like, I'm a Bitcoiner and there's a bunch of nonsense and insane things that is happening in the Bitcoin domain. And I'm still a Bitcoiner and, you know, I don't want to be associated with that. How do I make it, how do I signal clearly to other people in the ecosystem that you can be a Bitcoiner and you don't have to think these, you don't have to think that the price of Bitcoin is programmatically ordained from uh, a, a supply variable that, fluct that that changes in very small increments and that that is going to determine the price for Bitcoin to go to a million dollars just because of these small fluctuations. So to stay, to, stay, to stay sane within this mess of insanity, we have resorted to trolling. And the reason that we're doing it is to bring those people down a notch so that when people go into Bitcoin, they don't say, okay, this, this is Michael Saylor and he's the, the god of Bitcoin and he, he, he's the one that you should listen to. No, this is a person who has some crackpot, inadequate technical ideas. You can listen to him because sometimes when he's talking, it's almost mesmerizing in the way he's like, he's a good speaker. And Saifedina Moose is also like powerful in some ways, but you should know though that this is not like the... This is not how how Bitcoiners think of Bitcoin. These, these are how, how some high priests of the protocol um, are talking about Bitcoin, but there is another community below that. And right now the problem is that the, the, the community of Bitcoiners that, that are below that, they don't, they haven't really found a way to congregate and have conferences and podcasts and, 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 and places where they can express ideas. Uh, with because what's happening is that every time that we try to step up and we want to go to the existing Bitcoin conferences and the existing uh, Bitcoin podcasts, we are there's so much lashback from the from the sort of the elitist Bitcoin community that basically harass us to the point where we feel like okay maybe this isn't like why 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 should I go in here and try to talk about Bitcoin and say like zero knowledge proofs may be good for Bitcoin one day. And here we are, they're getting lasered down from space by a block stream, this, which is what we said. Um, so, so I just want to let those people who aren't, uh, who, who are too afraid to express their, their enthusiasm for Bitcoin because they know that they will get hate from this very, um, you know, very tribal layer of Bitcoiners. Let them know that this layer is not the thing that defines Bitcoin culture. We can just yeah, ignore I, but them. I, I, I'm already agreeing with you on that, but like I said, I've already covered that. But I think, I mean, look, when you say you're very trolly, being, tro being trolly is a choice. And people who troll also enjoy the process of trolling. So... I I think you, what you really have here is a is a marketing problem. As a marketer, I think you have a marketing problem of marketing your disagreements or your alternative views on narratives. And um, once you're seen as an enemy and on on the outside, um, you know perhaps because you've shit coined or you've trolled, your ideas sometimes don't matter. But shit coining should not look. But it, it does it, matter. It, no, no, because look. It if, matters to them, so therefore you have a marketing problem. 
Yeah, but it should. It doesn't matter to the, you know. There's this. Um, there was in 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 Miami a couple of years ago. They did a raise of hands. It's like, is there anyone in the audience who owns Bitcoin? It was, people, yeah, people raised hands. And two thirds were about how owned a shitcoin. Yeah, and yeah. they are Bitcoiners. So just because you have shitcoin, that is not an argument for why you should not be able to participate in the Bitcoin debate. You can be a Bitcoiner, and and the reason the reason that the reason that it is the reason that it is not the the reason that we have to shitcoin is because Bitcoin gave walkover on drive chains. No, you don't have to shitcoin. The reason you shitcoin is you choose to shitcoin. You don't have to. You choose to. We we are trying to. We are trying to um, enable the vision that the Blockstream company had back in 2014. And because Bitcoin chose not to go down that route, we are still. But Bitcoin didn't choose anything. Blockstream chose not to. It's a bit like Amazon started out selling books and now has AWS and every other part of his business. Things change. Businesses have. Commercial no, pressures. No, it was more than that. It wasn't just Blockstream. It was also the 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 people who are most instrumental in defining Bitcoin consensus that no longer wanted to see drive chains happen on Bitcoin. And for that reason, we don't have smart contracts on Bitcoin. And now, because of that, this was the primary objective of not only Blockstream, but the entire, like when we used to say that Bitcoin is going to power all of the things that we're going to be able to do with altcoins, now we're not doing it anymore. So there are some other currencies like Ethereum that are doing that and you are not an enemy of Bitcoin just because you're trying to do the thing that Bitcoin said it was going to do just that you're doing it with another currency. Eric, I think even if Bitcoin had done that, all these alternative currencies and layer ones would have existed anyway. Yes, and then it would have been shitcoining because if you could do that on Bitcoin but you chose to do it with another currency then you're shitcoining. But yeah. now, if you cannot do it with anything else, uh, if you cannot do it with Bitcoin alone, and you choose to do it with another currency because you have to, then you're trying to do the things that we wanted to do with Bitcoin originally. So this show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi 2.0 makes privacy effortless as the wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join like you had to in Wasabi 1, this can all be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can send privately. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. Also, you get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount and there is no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking more seriously, and Wasabi 2.0 makes this so much easier. To find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Next up, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, 
the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today we have Gemini, who I'm using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying right now. I'm a hodler. I'm not selling. We're in a bull market, but I'm also using the Gemini app for buying the dips. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I've been stacking sats through this bear market. Now, both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. But the priorities change. There will be reasons people chose not to do this. There is the consensus layer, but you have social consensus. You have the, you have the pathway for, for things to be added to Bitcoin. And during that pathway or discussion of things, people would have said, we're not going to do that now. We don't think we should do it. And they would have had their reasons. Their reasons might be contrary to yours. But the, the, to me, there are a group of Bitcoiners who are building Bitcoin for future generations. Not for themselves, not for what was needed now. They're building it for future generations, for my son's children who don't even exist yet. They care about the end goal. Okay, and so for them in that end goal, it's like we don't need to do that now. We've got to focus on this bit. Let's get this bit hundred percent. And that's fine. That's, that's the way it is. And uh, do you know what I say to that, Eric? Just d- deal with it. You are, you are now in opposition to them. You know, I'm not saying you're right. They're right. You're. I'm just saying you have a disagreement, and now you're on the outside. So you're in a different group of people. Let's play a little, little bit of a hardball. Okay. The. Let's look at what this hardcore Bitcoin Maxi cult is actually successful at doing, and how how I wouldn't call it a cult. Sorry, the Bitcoin let's say Maxi, this 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 cohort of people. A cohort of people. Okay, let's look at what they are actually successful at doing at the moment. So, from my point of view, this cohort, many of them are now migrating to Noster. Yep. And they are doing lightning payments yep. on custodial wallets. Yes, I agree. So, and at the same time, in Ethereum land, you have people trading NFTs. They're using MetaMask. MetaMask has some points of centralization because they're all connecting to the MetaMask node. But the keys, the keys, the actual keys are still held by the users themselves. Whereas in the... A custodial lightning wallet use case, uh, wallet of Satoshi can rug you. They can take all of your funds. Of course. Right. So this group of like Mac, uh, decentralization maxis who hate shitcoiners is, is, is pouring all their, you know, Bitcoin that they want to use for, for tips and they're sending it around in a completely custodial fashion Whereas the Ethereum people are actually using cryptocurrency in a non-custodial fashion. Yeah. So what, what is it? I mean, what, if Bitcoiners were like anti, anti-centralization, why are they the ones that are currently interacting with Bitcoin in a completely custodial fashion? And this is a thing that I've been trying to say for years that 
when you are so hell-bent on decentralization that you cannot consider uh, you cannot consider a drive chain, for example, because you think that drive chains are actually a block size increase for miners. Mm -hmm. It makes you, it forces you into this particular way of interacting with the system, uh, which is Lightning. Uh, that's the thing that we've focused all our, you know, we we put our all our eggs in this one Lightning basket. That not even the Bitcoin, the hardcore Bitcoin maximum maximalists themselves can figure out. Well, maybe they can can figure it out, but to to the extent that they interact with it, they do it in a custodial fashion. And so, so some people will say, no, no, on Noster, you know, I'm I'm dealing with tips, like it's small amounts. I'm not so worried that I'm going to get hacked because it's just just tips, right? I can tell you why that argument is not true. If you have a decentralized Lightning wallet that you like to use, you're not going to go and install. Uh, custodial wallet and use that one specifically for Noster if you had a decentralized Lightning wallet. Can I just ask a couple of questions? Um, a MetaMask, is that layer two or layer one? Layer, it works for all, all the layers. It's just a wallet and it connect to it can connect to uh, roll-ups, it can connect to main chain, it can, can connect to any any uh, EVM-based chain. Okay, so it can, it, it, it's, it can be any, okay. Yeah. Um, because I don't use MetaMask and I don't use Ethereum, so I, you know, I don't understand it. Uh, my expectation, and we're well out of my wheelhouse here, is that uh, non-custodial Lightning at the moment is hard. And the only reason I know it's hard is when I was at a conference selling Rail Bedford merch, somebody wanted to pay with Lightning and they wanted to use their non-custodial wallet and had to connect to their node. It was painful. It was painful. So my expectation is that in the world of non-custodial Lightning wallets, we're at the stage where it's hard to build and we're just not there yet. I don't know what non-custodial wallets exist. I don't know if Moon is or Phoenix. Well, I don't know any of these wallets. I don't, do you know? Is Phoenix? Phoenix is, I think, yeah. Non-custodial. So, so I think work's being done there, but this comes back to the point is that I, I'm in this world now with Bitcoin where it's like, I'm fine with the long, like, waiting. I'm fine with the long term. It's the Ethereum tends to be that build fast, you know, build fast, break things kind of thing. And we've seen a lot of things been broken. I'm really long term patient with Bitcoin. I don't need Lightning right now. I need Lightning to work decades ahead for the future. So I'm very patient with that. And I'm okay with that. Like, that's, you know, do I have a uh, wallet for Satoshi? Well, I did because I got it when I got Nostra. And I have 50 bucks on there. Did I have a blue wallet? Yes, I did. Never really had more than... Actually, at one point I did through a bull run. I started off with like a $300 and it became like 3000 because of that. But I'm patient for this stuff. And, and I trust the people who on the devs... I'm not a dev. I don't understand this technical shit. So I just trust those people. They're going to go and build it. And what I'm in this place now where I've got my Bitcoin security set up in a way that I can do it as a non-technical person... And I feel very secure that my Bitcoin will not get hacked or stolen. Very secure in that. So I'm okay with this. I just think you have a different timescale, a different perspective. And it's, it's valid to criticize this. You're, what you're saying is valid. It's valid for you to raise this. But what you've picked is one thread where you're critical of Bitcoiners and Bitcoin development. There are multiple threads you could do that. There's multiple threads on Ethereum we could pick to criticize. So that's just the way it is. There are two competing visions of 
a blockchain of an L1. It's just two competing visions. Look, if the current reality is that um, people try so hard with decentralization in Bitcoin that not even the hardcore Bitcoin maximalists can be bothered with using it because it incurs such uh, harsh mental overhead when you're trying to inter interact with those systems that the net effect is that more of them use custodial systems for the user experiences advantages, that is a failure. And if my if, if what I'm trying to say is like, hey, well, you know, if if we only focus on lightning and, and using lightning in a, in a decentralized way is clunky and it's going to lead to people to use it custodially, maybe it isn't all that bad if we try like drive chains or something. Then try it. Paul Stork's trying it. <laughs> He's been trying it for uh, eight years now. Okay. He's not getting anywhere. He is not getting anywhere. That thing is dead. That thing is dead. And it's dead because uh, the cohort of Bitcoiners that have the most control over the consensus debate has sort of blocked that path. Why do you, why? Why are they blocking it? Why do you think they're blocking it? Because they don't think that it's decentralized enough. Okay, so that's that's the marketplace the, but, for ideas. Yeah, but the decentralized option that they chose led 95% of Nostra users to use uh, custodial uh, Lightning wallets. And people, when they have a working Lightning wallet, they're going to stick to using that. They're not going to be like, oh, now I'm actually at the point where I'm going to go and migrate to a less... Uh, uh, less centralized wallet. That's not how humans operate. If you get, if you give them a wallet that works, they're going to use that. I don't think that's entirely true. I think people will change. People change wallets. I went from okay. a, I went from a single ledger to a multi-sig. Okay, so, it was so better. do you switch browsers when you're on your computer and you're yeah. like, oh, I want to, I want to actually hear when I'm visiting with this website. I actually want to use a little bit more well, privacy-focused so, browser, or do you just use Chrome and you hope that you know? You won't get into trouble. So I do switch, but sometimes, but I just don't think the analogy works. I moved to Brave and then Brave became unusable at times. And then I've gone back to Chrome sometimes or, yeah, I think people do change, but I, I think I'm coming back to what, what is it you want? Do you want to be right or do you want to have things change? Because look, sometimes it's, it's not whether you're right, it's how you navigate it. You know, how you communicate things. Like sometimes you have to do a sales job, a BIP. Anyone who puts forward a BIP, they have to do a sales job. They have to sell that to the community. They have to sell it to people that this is a right thing for Bitcoin. And so it just, uh, it just brings me up. What is it you want, Eric? Yeah. No, at this point, you know, me writing, a, what I want to do at this point is that I want to harmonize the Bitcoin discussion climate a little bit. I want people to understand that uh, the direction that we've been going with Lightning uh, is unfortunately after many, many years now, like I, I ran one of the first uh, Lightning notes. I was extremely optimistic about Lightning when it came out. I ran one of the first 500 Lightning notes and I was a very strong believer, but the trends that I'm seeing, all the trends that I'm seeing is I'm seeing people head more and more into custodial wallets. So- Can it be fixed on Lightning? The thing, the, the, the annoying thing with Lightning is that every time that you're trying to fix a problem, another problem pops up in another area. So it's like it's like a balloon and you're trying to uh, you know squeeze the air at one part and it and it becomes 
a, a bigger problem at another end. That's sort of the, 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 the design dynamic that you're struggling with with Lightning. And you can ask any uh, Lightning developer that, that that's sort of actually is the case, that it's not just like, like we're cutting off pieces of the problem, we're causing more problems every time that we're, it's like the heads of a hydra. Um, so I'm not super optimistic and I think that it's time to, okay, so let me put it this way. Let's say that it's not time. Let's say that actually let's just let Bitcoin be the way that it is. And I'm fine with that also, by the way, just to make, make, make it clear. I think that there is a place in the world for a super conservative currency that is Bitcoin. And I think that there's going to be, uh, a, a, a appreciation for that solid, maximally aspiring uh, towards decentralization type of currency in the world. There's room for that. But if you go down that route, you are you are opening the doors for something like Ethereum to exist. And if you are a Bitcoiner, which I am, then you shouldn't be, you shouldn't have so much struggle being a participant in the Bitcoin debate just because you've had you've, you've been forced to entertain this other uh, other currency. Yeah, but but again, it's the way you navigate these groups. If you if you are vitriolic uh, in your criticism of people, if you are trolling, you know whether you're right or wrong, you can put people off. It just so like again, it come back. You you got to me. It doesn't. Have, you don't have a, uh, a fact problem. You have a marketing problem. I feel like I have to do it because I feel I feel like I want to give the Bitcoin community overall a better um, a better perception from okay. the outside world. And the way that I do that is by limiting the adoration for people who say absolutely insane things, like Michael Saylor does. Uh, and like Seyfedina Moose does, I, I still want them to exist. I still want them to be able to say what they do. I just want to inform other people uh, in the Bitcoin world that, okay, they, these people do tend to say some, some pretty crazy things. Let's, let's like appreciate them for the good things that they say, but let's not make them goddesses. <laughs> let's let's not make them gods. Let, let's not make them be the high priest. Let's just level the playing field, field a little bit and let, allow voices that aren't as, you know, um, crazy with the things that they say to also come up to the surface to sort of harmonize the discussion climate. I think a lot of that's happening. I think over the last year or two, there's been a new wave of interesting people who are, I don't fit within that cohort that you've talked about. I, I particularly like talking to Natalie Smolensky. I think David Zell's an interesting character. Um, I particularly like Jason Mayer. Who else do we like? Matthew Pines. Matthew Pines is interesting. It's... I think Bitcoin goes through these life cycles, and in those life cycles, cultures emerge. But as Bitcoin becomes more mainstream, more accepted, there'll be multiple cohorts, and there will always be a role for the for the this hardcore maxi. Who I super appreciate; I think they do a really good thing. But there'll be new cohorts, and look, people people always uh, well hierarchies always build, and people always group around specific leaders or voices, happens in life, business, politics, sport, culture. It's not necessarily there. It's not necessarily a, a, a objectively truthful meritocracy. I mean, just look at politics. 
do we have the best people in politics? No. But we still have them as our elected leaders who people vote for. It's just the way it is. But it's sometimes if you want to make change, you have to observe, I think, and you have to consider how you're selling that message. Because, like, if you go to a bar and you see a hot chick and you're like, oh, she's cool, and you go up to her, you don't go up to her and say, hi, I'm Eric, you should date me for these reasons. I'm this, I'm that, because she's going to think, what the fuck, who's this nutbag? You have to go and sell it to her. You have to go and be nice. You have to be, you know, you have to sell it in a in a different package. And, but and I did that though. Don't you remember, like, do you remember my starting point in, in the sort of Bitcoin ecosystem? I was nope. the altcoin slayer. Remember that? I was the ah, one. Vaguely. And then, yeah, but then you set up a shitcoin fund. So the, the point of the shitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. You did. The point of the shitcoin fund was for people that desperately wanted exposure to uh, cryptocurrencies, I said, well, okay, you want exposure to cryptocurrency, let me at least eliminate all the fucking centralized garbage uh, hogshit project, and now you can have an exposure to that. Bollocks. It was to make money. It was to make money. Just say it how it was. That's fine. Like, I got no issue with people buying shit coins to make money. That's absolutely their choice. If they want to go to Vegas and they want to gamble, fine. If they want to buy shit coins, I don't care. But, like, let's not rationalize this as some kind of altruistic venture to help it. It was to make money. No, well, if you look, if you looked at the exposures of my fund, the vast majority of the holdings in that portfolio was Bitcoin. Okay. 80% was it? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a 20% shitcoin fund. But like you, you went from altcoin slayer to shitcoin fund. Like you still did that. I mean, that, that's... How, people... how is it a shitcoin fund if the primarily holding is Bitcoin? Listen... There has to be some like gradient there. I'm trying to tell you why I think... I don't care why you do these things in the end. Like this is your choice. I'm trying to tell you why you may have a difficulty in selling your ideas to other people. Why they might reject them. I'm just telling you why it might happen. Like, sometimes you have to throw people a bone. Sometimes you have to meet people where they are. Sometimes you just have to, that's just life. Do you think that Tour de Meester ran a shitcoin fund? I have no idea what he ran, but I love the guy. Adamant Capital. I, I, I have no idea. Do you know that they had sort of the same asset distribution that we had? No idea at all. Okay. Well, well so, so are people just bullying you? They're just picking on you. They're like, Eric, let's pick on Eric. And I'm fine with that because I pick on them way, yeah. <laughs> way, way more. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a sales problem. I, I keep coming back to it. I think yeah. you have and no look, problem selling look, it to me. That's probably like, that's probably true. And that's why nowadays I'm kind of um, moving out from this, you know, let's dunk on Michael Saylor. Let's dunk on Francis and... All these people, I'm trying to find a way, like, how can I be more um, productive in my goals? You could come on here, you can outline in detail the technical issues you found with something, the reason you disagree with it, and you can outline a solution. And you could propose to discuss this with the people who are relevant to it, and you can get into that battle place of ideas. But if you do a wizard and you have wizards in the shower and you dunk on people, they're just going to be like, I can't be bothered with this guy. Because you know what? This is this is serious to some of these people. Like whether or not you agree with them, some people, this is this is their life's but work. But do you think that the wizards thing is a bad idea though? Uh, I just think it's a distraction. For me, I, again, I don't care. I just think it's a distraction. Do you know that we onboarded more people to Lightning 
uh, in that experiment. Like there are, I think there's 11,000. Hold on. So you put all these people at risk with custodial wallets? We didn't tell them which wallets to use. <laughs> we didn't tell them which wallets to use. Yeah, but you knew Bitcoin, we actually, you knew no, Lightning we, wasn't ready. We, we, we got um, messages from like the CEO of Breeze saying like, hey, what's this huge influx of, of Lightning users? We don't even have like the channel capacity. Like how, how many people are we going to expect here? So are we, they onboarded as Bitcoiners or are they onboarded as uh, uh, ordinal traders or whatever? Like... I no, you should, have seen, you should have seen these people. When they interacted with Lightning for the first time through this, they were saying like, wait a minute, can Bitcoin, can Bitcoin be transferred this fast over the Lightning network? Why is this? This is like Solana, but for Bitcoin. This is incredible. So it sounds to me like you do have your platform. You do have your community. You do well, have we're, your cohort. We're, we're creating it right now. This is so, so when you're criticizing the Taproot Wizards project, I'm saying... I'm not criticizing it. I'm just not interested in it. And I just think there are ways and approach. I mean, I haven't really seen you with the Wizards. I've just seen Udi. And you two, I think, are very different people. I think you're very different people. I think he is. I think he wants to troll. I think he enjoys it. I think it's like a part of him. And he'll 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 listen to this, and then he's going to DM me. Why did you say that about me? And I'm going to be like, it's just my observation. I see you two as very different people. I think I think you have so much value to add, and I just think the way you're relaying the message is a bit difficult, and people are struggling to uh, struggling to hear it through whatever. Uh, profile they've built up of you in their eyes whereas Udi I just I don't th I think they just don't give a fuck I think he post-rationalizes a lot of things I don't think he owns his mistakes as much and I just see it I don't know Danny help me out here well I mean <clears throat> well you want my opinion on the difference between you and Udi yeah what, how do you see them I think you try and do the same things but I think you're right Udi's more of a troll in general but I appreciate that the people are, are actually questioning some of the narratives because I think some of the narratives are wrong. And what you were saying about <clears throat> Sailor before, I think it's really valuable. Like if he's been given information about what the his output being totally incorrect and he's ignored it, then that is an issue and it should be brought to people's attention. Um, so I do think there's a role in it, but I think the trolling doesn't always work. I've given Sailor feedback on things. He's ignored me. That happens. Yeah. He's juggling what he's juggling. Look, at the end of the day, I am a Bitcoiner okay. and I don't give a shit if people call me a shitcoiner. Um, I'm trying, like, I've, I've, I've been in Bitcoin since 2012 and I've, you know, Ross Albright, like changed the world for me. Uh, and he's in prison now for how long is it? Eight years, nine years, 10 years? He's been in for 10 years. He's passed a decade, but he, he got a double, double life sentence for 40 years. He'll be there for the entirety of his life if uh, his sentence yeah. isn't commuted. And the things that Ross did had an insanely impactful, like an insane impact on my life. Same and here. I feel like every day at some point, like at some level, I feel like I want to uh, honor like the, the, the opportunities that he gave me. Um, and by in, in, the way for me to do that is just by trying to make Bitcoin as, as successful as I, as I can. And if that involves uh, pushing down these insane voices that promises that Bitcoin is going to go to uh, a billion because uh, a, a, a man with a cap on Twitter said that when the supply schedule fluctuates this way, it automatically makes Bitcoin worth uh, a million. Like, 
I want to make sure that, okay, that that's not how we portray the message of Bitcoin. When we have uh, big leaders uh, like uh, Sefadina Moose and, and, and Sailor, when they're saying crazy things like, let, let, let's take them down a few notches and, and let's sort of widen the Bitcoin debate. And if, if it is the fact that Lightning is pushing people towards centralized solutions, then maybe, you know, maybe drive chains is, is a better thing to explore. And if, if uh, it's easier to sync a Bitcoin node now because of the zero knowledge proofs that the Ethereum developers developed are actually syncing nodes faster in Kyrgyzstan at the moment, that's a good thing. Bitcoiners have been calling that type of mathematics uh, voodoo made up by Vitalik. If I can just neuter those voices to some extent and elevate the Bitcoin discussion, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm trying do you to, think you're being effective? Um, <laughs> I'm try, I'm, what I'm saying is that I'm trying. Well, you said with wizards, you onboarded loads of people. So maybe your way works. Wiz maybe you are being effective. Wiz wizards is the, sort of the first thing that I'm, that I'm seeing that we're actually, we actually have a shot here. I think with, with, with wizards, we can restore that culture of, you know, magic and fun in Bitcoin again, make it, make it a little bit more playful again. We have tried this, you know, laser eye, uh, meat eating, uh, blah, 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 uh, for a while. And I don't think that it actually grew the community that much. It grew the community with some people who are actually, um, not that easy for common people to, for them to join. Like this, 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 this group of, 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 uh, Bitcoiners that we've cultivated for the last couple of years, they are not going to help us to grow this community by a tenfold or a hundredfold anymore. That's a small clique of people that is now like okay. taking control. So Bitcoin is not a monoculture. monoculture. It's, it's not a monoculture. Culture. Yeah. Monoculture. Bitcoin is not a monoculture. Okay, that's fine. I mean, that's life though. Like I am I'm very different from Danny in some ways. I'm from you and from Connor here. And there are different groups of people in the... That's just life. So you've created this new cohort, this new group of people who are doing something different. Cool. And you know what? You can have a battle with the other ones. That's life. Some people are on the left, on the right. They have different ideas and they battle. And that is the battle place of ideas. I think that's fucking cool then. You've got that. And you might be right. And the hardcore maxis might be wrong. And that... And, and that's fine. And look, I'm, I'm uh, right now. I'm enjoying the current situation that we're in. I enjoy that we're finally getting people to engage with Bitcoin in a new way that isn't as you know. I don't. I don't want to use the word toxic, but that are more inspired about using Bitcoin in a way that is fun, and they don't. They don't um, make trade-offs of what they want to do according to what some you know cohort thinks that they like. They're just doing what they want to. Yeah. in a more fun way. And so now I think we're actually in a good situation. I want my wizard now. What would my wizard look like? I think uh, your wizard, do you remember the profile picture that you had when you first DM'd me? The, 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 the guitar. The guitar guy? Yeah. I think that's that's the Peter wizard. Should I go back to that one? <laughs> I think you should. I think you're going to bring that guy you know, back. We made, a, we made a, do you remember the Dan Held show? The Dan Held, he made a case for a oh, yeah. note. Yeah. So we made him, we made him a wizard that was completely shaped with this with this shell you know the 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 one with the red lasers coming out of it and it was like ah, i, I kind of want to put that face behind me, behind me. Yeah. so i didn't accept but i still think that that's the best one of the best wizards that we made you got to accept the one you're given show me some of these danny let me see 
Let me see if I can guess who's yeah, talking about. Nick, look, but the bald one's clearly Udi. Look, yeah. look at the Nick Carter one. Look at the Nick Carter one. That like the rising. He has a rising star behind him. Does Nick love it? Who's who's the Doge one? Is that Elon? The Doge one. The Doge one is uh, Billy. Uh, what's his name? Billy Two K. He was the, one of the co-founders of Dogecoin. And he did you see that he um, he ratioed uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren? I did see that. Yeah, yeah I did with the, see with that. With the wizard, with the wizard picture, and yeah. Arthur Hayes is a wizard now. Uh, Tell me, Arthur Hayes is just a wizard with a huge grin. Please, it's got to be him with the huge grin. He's he has. Um, I snow Do you remember the huge grin one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely I, do. I, I want to see my wizard. If you want a wizard, you gotta wear it though. I'll you, wear it, but I'm not. Wear it. I wear it as a t-shirt. As a t-shirt. But it's not financial advice. It doesn't mean I support ordinals. It means I'm uh, ordinal curious. I mean, we're giving. We're give, We're not like they're not. We're not gonna. He looks like a ghost. <laughs> Dan Hill. Why has he got a spaceman's helmet? What's your one? Uh, oh, rain, rainbow, rainbow chart. Rainbow chart. Uh, okay. Rainbow chart and tungsten cubes that I collected from um, stupid Bitcoiners that make bets about the Ethereum protocol. Well, I think we, this takes us to our conclusion then. Tungsten cubes. In 2021, you want a cube from Adam Back, never S2F. 2022, you want a tungsten cube from Christian Corollas. Mentioned about, to, about, about the, the merge. merge. Yeah. What, what are we going to bet a cube on? You and me? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, How far do you think I can take my football team? <laughs> it's got uh, to have an end date, though. Do you? Th we've won the league this year. Do you think we can win the league next year? I don't have any edge when it comes to football, though. That's going to be extremely difficult for me. I only bet about things. You know, the 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 point of the the tungsten cube collection is that there are Bitcoiners who are so adamant about their beliefs in Bitcoin or in cryptocurrency that and are so religious about the ideas that they make completely insane bets. For example, the one that I'm winning now uh, about, you know, the, the, you know that Bitcoiners have always been saying that, oh, you're never going to be able to withdraw your, your Ether from, from proof of stake. It's happening now in, in a week. So it'll happen in Hex in about a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th those are the kinds of bets. Like when people are saying insane shit for tribalistic reasons, then I say, okay, how how sure are you about that? And what, what insane shit do I believe? Do you think ordinals will be a big deal in a year? I don't know how you you measure what a big deal is. Yeah. Um, do an over under on the price. How many wizards are there at the moment? Uh, Two thousand um, one hundred and eight. In what time period? Like how long we yeah we create we started to create them like sometime in February February so two thousand one hundred and eight in basically a month Harry can just create a load yeah yeah no yeah. there's a finite cap twenty one twenty one twenty one thousand never be yeah no two thousand one hundred and twenty one that's the maximum amount and how wizard. many are so far two thousand one hundred and seven or eight oh shit so I need mine soon. Yeah, yeah we're running out of. How do I get? How do I get that now? How do we do it literally now? I want one. I mean, so there, there's the wizard school. Oh, can you just, <laughs> fucking, just, fucking, just fucking get me one? Okay, well, if you promise to wear it, though, I will. I will wear my wizard. And I, just, the, I mean, when, how do when, I own it? Like, how do I actually? I'll learn it. We'll create you one, and then you have to download a, a wallet that is able to hold ordinals. So there's one called Sparrow that is very easy to yeah, use. Yeah, I've got Sparrow. 
Okay. This barrel will send right. you send you a wizard. So there's only about like 15 left or something. What, how many did you say? 2,108. So there's 13 left. Yeah, like 14 or 13 left. They could have gone during this interview. No, I mean, we're... we're Very selective we wanna, on those last We're giving them to people that we think um, embodies the... Um, spirit of the original 2013 wizard it's about people that use bitcoin for fun and uh magic so we were thinking of making the wizard the uh, mascot of our football team and getting someone dressed up literally as the original wizard and running down the football pitch during a game when we score a goal because i think that would be fucking funny that would be hilarious oh now we should get a real bedford wizard maybe that should be your wizard what in a real bedford kit yeah the mascot. I, I think I want both of them. The mascot should be a wizard. Yeah, can I get can I get the wizard in a Real Bedford shirt? And can I have my own wizard with the with the guitar? That's actually is it upside down? It's upside down, isn't it? I can't remember. Yeah. I think I think we can make that happen. Yeah, let's do that shit. I was a lot thinner in that picture. I always look back and my beard wasn't grey. All right, listen. Yeah. We need a bet. Um, but the thing that I do appreciate about you, Twitter. Um, <laughs> the thing that thank I you, appre- Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I do appreciate about you, uh, Peter, is that I've seen you go through like a lot of hate. Yeah. In in Bitcoin, and I think you know that you've pulled through, and you're still loving what you're doing. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So that's like I think the amount of shit that that you've gotten, a lot of people would have been like turned away, think about doing something else. But, but most you... of the people who give me shit are mentally ill. Most of them, not all of them. A lot of them are mentally ill. And I've I got to live my dream, which is to buy my local football team and we're about to win the league. It's the greatest thing ever. I absolutely love it. And then today I've got my, one of like Danny's become one of my best friends in the world. We get to work together all the time. We fly around the world together. My son is working for me today. Like he's here helping make this. My family help with the football club. Like Bitcoin's given me so much, I find it very difficult to find anything to be angry about. You're a wizard, Peter. I'm a wizard. <laughs> All right, we still need a bet. What wizard bet can we make? Value? Yeah. Is there is there an open market for the value of the wizards? Uh, like if there's a yeah, well, not yet. All We're right. not up what, for sale. If I sold my wizard in one year, what do you think it will be worth? So the honoraries, the one we would make custom for you, yeah. are a bit harder to sell because who's going to wear Peter's? It's not about wearing it. They just want to own it. I mean, yeah. it's like owning a Dali self-portrait. Yeah. What do you think? If I, one year today, I put in the, to get the diary open, Danny, what do you think my wizard will be worth? Mm, I would say um, 10 Bitcoin. Whoa. In a year today. Okay, I'm going to take the under. I think that's insane. You're basically saying in a year, at the current price, it's $280,000. It could be merely $750,000. I'm taking the under. Tungsten cube. Oh, look. Come on. Look. Take the bet. I only... Look, the thing is when I well, bet... Well, you can pick another amount. I might take the over. The thing is when I bet these tungsten bets, I only bet them when I know that the other person is 100% wrong i think you're 100 wrong and insane to think that so take the bet no but it would have to be something where i'm like but if you don't 100%. take the bet everyone thinks you're a pussy right now <laughs> that's the point i look, mean you've got plenty of tungsten cubes look no because if i lose one i lose all of my tungsten cubes <laughs> that's how it works like okay. I, 
Okay, then then pick a different number. It's not worth 10 Bitcoin. Okay, one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin. Okay, uh, I'll take over. I think you're insane. I'd definitely be worth more than one Bitcoin. <laughs> but, I, but I also think that it's going to be worth more. Okay. <laughs> so now, now you have no conviction. You're not very good at making a bet. <laughs> yeah, right now people just think you're just not good at betting. Look, I'm good at bets. I've won a half a Bitcoin off um, American Hoddle twice. Danny's going to owe me three million no, Satoshis way, at the end of the, the season. The way that the tungsten bet works is that when you say something absolutely insane, then I bet against you. And when you're wrong, which I know that you're going to be, I collect the tungsten cube. You can't tell me like, oh, what's the thing that you believe in? And then, then you just say, oh, I believe the, the opposite of that. Um, okay, let's not bet a tungsten cube. Let's bet something else so you can keep your tungsten cubes. Okay. Okay. okay, so do you want to go with the original? You think it's worth more than 10 Bitcoin? And I'll, I'll pick a different prize. Okay, let's say five Bitcoin. Five Bitcoin. Five Bitcoin. Okay, so I think my thing will be worth less than five Bitcoin. Okay. If you lose, you have to give me your wizard. Ooh. <laughs> I, I can't take it. I can't take it. <laughs> Make me the fucking bet. Come on, just, we I'm have to have a bet now or something. No, I'm going to have to think about it. I'm going to have to think about it. If it's less less than five Bitcoin, you have to give me five Bitcoin. That doesn't sound like a good bet from, from my point of view, though. Well, if it's over five Bitcoin, I have to because give you... Because you, you sell a Bitcoin. You, 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 what, what do I get if I win? You get... You get do, I, do I get the, the, the value of your, Do I get the value of your wizard that you sell it for? Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. I just want to fucking tungsten cube. All right, look, we're not going to make a bet. This is silly. Eric Wall, thank you for coming to Bedford. Appreciate having you here. Uh, let's next time come on and discuss ideas, things that you think can be better, worse, improved, and we'll talk it through. How does that sound, my brother? Sounds good. All right, man. Ciao. Ciao. All right, what do you think of that one? Pretty weird, right? Pretty cool, though. I like Eric. I like talking to Eric. I spent a bit of time with him. I was out in Lugano with him earlier this year at the conference. And one of the things I said to him then is, I don't think you realize how much smarter you are than everyone else. I don't think you realize when you're talking to people and they don't understand the things you understand. It's because they're just not as smart as you. But anyway, this was great. Liked getting into the hex stuff, which was uh, by chance because I didn't realize we were going to so much detail. And uh, it's good to hear his views on Bitcoin. And I think it's good that we have critics out there. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Hopefully you'll see some of you this Friday at our live event. Maybe it's Saturday at the football. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, please hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. <laughs>